One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. The Telegraph, the Telegraph. podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Remy Martin. After an action-packed weekend, the final weekend of the Autumn Series of International Fixtures, joined in the studio this week by The Telegraph's Mick Cleary. Hello Mick, how are you? Very well, thanks Brian, been a good, uh, been a good month. You enjoyed this, the uh, Autumn? Yeah, yeah, which, uh, man of my age, I didn't think I would really. <laughs> bit, a bit jaded coming in. And sometimes there has been, I think, in the autumn, a little bit yeah. of a sense of same old, same old. But it's actually really invigorating. You know, there were close games, surprises. There was lots in there, new players coming through. So it was a, a real kind of upbeat sort of feeling at the end of it all. Well, we'll cover the Celtic Nations later on. But let's start with England and to make a proper assessment of mm. how they did. You've got to go back to what was being said before they started. Yeah. Long injury list. Both Billy Vinopola and Chris Robshaw out. Three first-choice loose heads out. Yep. Concerns there were people being stupid, actually, and uh, getting themselves banned for longer than they should yes. have done, suspension-wise. And a lot of people were saying it could be three out of four losses. It turned out to be three out of four wins and a single-point loss to New Zealand. So, whilst I don't think they're back on track exactly where they no. should be, they're in a, better, a lot better position than I think even probably they thought they would be. I think that's correct. And I think they are in a better position, not just because of the results, but actually who's actually come through, you know. So they've now got that kind of depth in the background. Mark Wilson was fantastic. He was I mean, sensational, wasn't You he? know, he was a real kind of good, honest, flinty, and I, I know that sounds quite patronising back row forward, but you need those sort of players. You need those guys who are just going to get out there and give you 80 minutes, come what may, of just hard graft. And I he, think Shields had his that. best game against Australia, didn't he, so yeah. far? Yes, he did. Yeah, and, I, I, you know, it, it's... You know, it's easy to be slightly sceptical about a kind of guy who was rushed in from the Hurricanes in the South Africa tour, then back home again, back to here again. You, you know, you can get a little bit sort of what's this all about when what you see on the field is is not that radically different from from many other English players uh, or English-born players, sorry, who've who've come through the systems. But I think his leadership, to give it that sort of slightly nebulous term of what does it mean I think that's been important certainly in getting that defensive sort of systems embedded very quickly because as we as we know and as we kind of quickly over easy to overlook they had a new defence coach in John Mitchell so to have come through as they've done and have the development of players as we've just mentioned Ben Moon on the loose head as well all those Exeter chief props have, have been given Eddie now I think the kind of options for his 30-man, one-man squad that he didn't have coming into the A choice between Underhill and Curry at open side. 
not yet, I don't think, quite the complete articles, but a lot of progress from both of them. Yeah, put, put, put them both together as ever, you you'd, would have a complete uh, number seven, I think. But, hey, you know, he's been waiting for a few years. England have been waiting longer than that, really, for what you would classify as a, a genuine open side. And like the bu- London buses, two come along together. But I think, I think they've shown – I was very impressed with Tom Curry down in South Africa. I thought he really stood up well there. And Underhill – against New Zealand was terrific. You know, I mean, he, he did to Bowden Barrett what Bowden Barrett uh, has done to many people in finishing off that try. But obviously his game is far more than just that non-try as was. I, I think that now Underhill Curry over the next 10 months will develop into the seven that they absolutely need. Well, there comes a time in a player's international career and it can be two games, it can be more, mm. and you don't know when it's going to happen. And you suddenly stop thinking, look, please don't make a mistake when you go on the field. You think, actually, you know what? I can play this game. I deserve to be at this level. And I'm not going to think about that anymore. All those thoughts are gone. I'm now going to be much more positive. And to me, Kyle Sinclair has made that turn. Absolutely. His scrimmage has improved markedly. His ball carrying was always good. But he's added to that, I think, not just the ability to get over the gain line, which is important, but looking for, not just for contact, looking for support players. And he's got these soft hands that can keep moves flowing, you know, in time. And he's got that turn of speed. And and as you said, as you started off there saying, not not afraid to show what he's got, be it like a Jacob Stockdale in in Ireland for that great try against New Zealand. You know, he'd just been charged down minutes earlier by Kieran Reid, but he tries it again. It's the same with these kind of guys, you know, a bit like the England cricketers out in Sri Lanka, the young guys that have come in. That's absolutely what you want to see, not to be afraid to go out there and express themselves. And Sinclair, who's had temperamental liabilities, is actually not afraid for, with a few verbals either, mm. which I quite like in, the, in its way. He's out there to express himself. And that, there was a sense of that, finally, for that there was an England team being a bit like your generation or Martin Johnson's generation of actually going out there and being sort of spiking, combative and all those kind of things with the absolute necessity of getting the fundamentals right in the, in the scrummage first and foremost for Sinclair. Well, I think Elliot Daly, after, after a bit of a slower start, was a success uh, at fullback. And the, one of the problems I'm is not this. wholly convinced yet. Well, I think, you know... Just on the given, high ball. Given his pace, given yeah. oh, his length of kick. Wonderful try. And... Um, it's a welcome headache for Eddie Jones yeah. because wings and those areas around yeah. there are where England does have depth anyway. But when you see Joe Thockener Senior coming along oh. and creating things just because of his sheer power yeah. and pace, that's an incredibly useful addition. Now, whether you start off with that because it would be very hard on players like Jack Knoll and so yeah. on, or not is a different matter. That's not for us to sort out. It's for Eddie Jones to sort out. But... His emergence uh, and his fulfilment of uh, the promise that he showed at junior level is a huge bonus for him. It's a great asset. And, and uh, Eddie Jones has always said he was, even 18 months ago, two years ago, he's looking for that X Factor player. I think he referenced Nihi Milner Scudder, who'd come through yeah. for, the, for the All Blacks uh, in 2015, as somebody just with something a bit different. Well, Big Joe's got something a bit different. He's got himself, you know, and I know the Lomu kind of comparisons are fanciful and all those kind of things, but he is one of those players that actually, as a defender, you've got to think, what's he going to, how am I going to bring him down? You know, it's already got you wondering and worrying 
before the match has started, and that's a positive. I mean, he had, he scored one try and should almost had another within. If he'd gone straight for the line, he would have done. He would have done. Yeah. And look, I mean, I I've never thought Ben Teo was as limited as people said. You you don't play seven seasons in no. the NRL and not be yeah, able to distribute no, the ball, and he got better. Manu, who knows? Just wait and oh, find out. But oh, what about the prospect of playing those three together in the back line? Which is what you need. You know, it, it's it's all very well. And as we've seen with, with wonderful talents like Barrett and Damien McKenzie, you know, it's not all about size. However, size does help mm. if you've got it in the first place. You've got to have some power there. And these guys have got power. And that's what... England have been lacking, I think. They haven't been, which is why they play the, you know, the Ford Farrell axis was there because all these guys were injured or unavailable or whatever else, you know, and that worked well for England in the first two years. But I think this takes it to another level. And then you've still got the Ford Farrell axis potentially in the last 15 mm. minutes if you, if you want the distributors there. Well, someone who knows uh, Joe uh, Thocken, a singer, is Ben Ryan, the two times world champion Olympic Games gold medal winning coach who going to join us now. Hi, Ben. Hi, Mick. Hi, Brian. Hello. Hi, Ben. He's a, he's a bit of a raw talent, this lad, isn't he? How good could he be? Yeah, Joe, Joe's been sort of, but I guess he's burst onto the scene, but he, you know, he's played the age groups. He's managed pretty well from London Irish. He's a second-generation Fijian, so um, his dad was in the, the military, I think. He might have been a postie in the military, and he's come through, yeah. And he's got a point of difference, his size and power and his ability to offload. Well, we uh, have spoken at length when you've been on the podcast about the 10. And has that debate been finally finalised now that Farrell has played there and played well and everyone outside him has uh, seemed to take? Yeah, look, I think, I think Farrell at first choice 10, nobody's going to argue much about that. I, I, I'm not sure they've solved 13 yet and the backup to Farrell, whether you go for, you know, Steady Eddie like George or you do still pop yourself into the to the market and look at maybe a, a Cipriani or even the Quinns outside half. So and, I, and, I, and for me, at 13, I'd still like to see Elliot Daly playing at 13 um, and fighting out with Henry Slade for a spot there. But it's nice that they've now got the opportunities to mix it up, to be able to chuck in a, a Tio and a Lange combination if they need to in the midfield. So they add that power when they want it and the guile if they need it as well. So with all those boys coming back and Anthony Watson coming back as well, hopefully Jack Noll will be fit. There's plenty of options. It's just just picking the right ones in the right spot. Well, that's the point, isn't it? I know that you're a, a fan and advocate uh, potentially of, of Watson at fullback, but when you look at the wings and you've got May, Ashton, Noll, fucking senior, uh, Daly, I mean, some very good players are going to miss out. Who would you who would you have with, there? I'd agree with Ben about the daily at 13. I, I should know the stat, but I don't know the stat of how many times he's started for England at 13. Very, very few. And I think his, his whole upbringing was, was really as an outside centre. And I, I think that also looks to me his natural position. But there we are. Yeah, they seem to have missed an opportunity here because not only has he got that big kicking option there, he's got great feet, he's very quick for an outside centre, he's a, he's a clever defender and he would be a world-class 13. I'd put him in the world 15 to 13 right now, actually. Crikey. But they haven't given him a chance to, to play there and until probably the Six Nations and they'll, then they'll throw him in there potentially. But um, the, the guy that I would have said three weeks ago, Joe Fokinasinga would have been the guy missing out just because he... You know, hadn't hadn't had hadn't been capped, and he's he's still very inexperienced. He's going to no doubt that he's going to have a long career ahead of him. But as you said, Brian, you know, you've named some players there that are, are pretty good as well, and, and you're not going to be able to fit them all in. He's going to have to work out around combinations. 
you gamble, not have a third nine or a third ten to allow yourself to have a bit more shape around those, uh, those outside backs. And you do due diligence. He'll have a look around uh, uh, the opposition, and then and then he'll he'll pick appropriately. But some good players are going to miss out. Uh, ben, finally, whilst you've got you, you've split allegiances um, because Fiji pulled off arguably the result of the Didn't weekend they? against France. Tell us, uh, tell us about the game. I was brilliant. I mean, look, we're talking about 13, Semi Randrandra, um, ex-NRL. And every time he got the ball, he, he was just an absolute menace. But the good thing, really, that Fiji showed was twofold. One, it's a very different team to the team played Scotland because you have three days training preparation time. Which is a which is a farce, and two after three weeks and they're, they're together and they get some consistency. They played as a team, they defended as a team. They had to be on their own line for that last ten minutes, fighting hard to keep to keep the scoreline their way. They did it brilliantly. They've got some great players in Mata and Nakarawa, and Bola Bola had an excellent first half. He's probably not the answer as a ten. They're showing that they you know they they are a real threat. If you look at the World Cup last group game, it's going to be Wales. So, although, again, it's a complete travesty that they now finished the weekend, it's six months until they're going to get together as a group, which is just a joke. Mind you, the Australians you know, thought they had a bad Saturday, and then they saw that result, given that Fiji, Australia are also in that group. I think it's the first game of the World Cup, isn't it? It's the first Australia, game, though. Australia-Fiji. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I see what you mean. I mean yeah, yeah. They will have the minimum amount of playing time available going into that, and you'll see them get better and better. So, Australia, and then it's, I think it's Uruguay and and Georgia, and then that final game against Wales. But no, look, John McKee is outstanding. John Pryor is conditioner. They've got some really good coaching staff there, and the players, they look really united, and it was, it was lovely to see. Ben, uh, thank you very much. Pleasure. Have a lovely day. Well, look, a quick word on the World Cup, which is now complete after mm. Canada made it through the repechage to join New Zealand, South Africa, Italy, and Namibia in Pool B. Am I right? This is always a perennial debate. The gap northern and southern hemisphere. It is right, though, isn't it, that this time the gap has closed? It is. It is. You can. I've got 900 words of a column to write on that very subject, Brian. <laughs> so if you just keep talking, I'll put the tape recorder. It has closed. I don't think it's... Um, it's a genuine kind of uh, closure, you know. Ireland, and I know the Southern Hemisphere are up here at the end of their season. It's all that kind of things they've been on. Like yeah, but this is, this is always the case, and it, it is. we haven't beaten them before. You know, no. these teams have not been no. uh, beaten by uh, the home nation, and not been beaten in the manner in which they've been beaten. They've they've been. I know they were close on the scoreboard, the the the, the New Zealand games. Well, I thought there Ireland were sen- comfortable. There was a certain, absolutely, there was a sense of certainty about it, which you've never ever really thought. Before, even when England did them in 2012, you know, they thought, gosh, that's a bit of a freak when Tui Lange destroyed them, really. But um, that it was kind of a one off sort of thing. This is much more calculated and much, therefore, much more relevant to events in, in 10 months' time, I you think. You know, and Wales, who've had Great. psychological problems yeah. more than anything else, yeah. getting over the line. Yeah. yeah. Again, Australia, South Africa. No, well, I don't think they played, you know, hugely well, but again, I. I, I never got the feeling in those games that they weren't going to win. No, and you don't need to play hugely well sometimes, do you? You know, It's almost actually more productive psychologically if you've not played well, but actually you're coming through, you're beating these sides. You know, that, that all gets tucked away. And I know Eddie Jones says the games at the moment are of no consequence. What's of consequence is the World Cup. I don't really buy into that because, you know, you need as a player to have some kind of self-assurance, some kind of deep inner belief that you're going in the right direction. And I think those sides are, you know, the England, Ireland, Wales, Scotland also under Gregor, you know, they've, they've shown enough 
over the last, well, and with Vern Cotter before that, there's the development kind of chart there, isn't there? You know, which suggests that they, uh, they are going to go, um, go well also. How do you think the Southern Hemisphere teams will be reviewing the Autumn Internationals? Well, certainly Australia are a mess, aren't they, really? I mean, they are really riven with, with kind of internal difficulties within their system. You know, that, that's been an ongoing sort of thing. And now their results, is, it's the worst they've had in decades, I think. You know, and you can't just sort of... It's strange, it, because there's still quality players. You look at the back line, Absolutely, yeah, and Falau, you know, bang, 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 there you go. No one was in the last second, you know, two tries out of not very much as well. So there are quality players there but I just think it's the sort of residual drip 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 of, of kind of negativity and people say well 2014 was the same Checker was but Checker was parachuted in for this tour actually I think Ewan McKenzie resigned or sat I can't remember which way around it was and you know he had a bit of time with them there's no time now Checker's in charge and the same players are going to have to listen to the same messages and I just think I don't know I just don't think the forward pack to me just looks a little bit kind of... Front five, not very good. Ordinary. Yeah, it's just there's nothing there that really... There's no John Eels there, which I know John Eels is one of the greatest lock forwards ever to play the game. But, you know, that even so, down the years, you, you've seen those pack of forwards, with Stephen Moore at Hooker, all those kind of guys. Was now you're kind of looking at the names and thinking, don't really know them that much. So I'd be worried about them. The other two, South Africa, I think, have, have, have turned a corner without a doubt from... From oh, sum- I mean, they've definitely improved sum- summer onwards since yeah. Razzy Rasmus came in, but yeah. in, in with big strides. But I think if they look at this, the and they're honest, they will say, unless we have our best fifteen yes. available yeah. and starting yeah. together, but I think they know they will. I think Fafta Clerk was a deal done, wasn't it? You know, and Fafta Clerk yeah. makes a big difference. Yeah. We've seen he's the real kind of dynamo in that side, isn't he? And they're a bit, little bit thin by the look of it. A, a backup scrum half that'd be a slight concern. But you should know, South Africa got players. You know, what they didn't have was a sense of kind of organisation and direction. And, and Erasmus has, has brought that to them. You know, they also that, need Pollard to stay fit. Because yeah, they do. Yanchis, yeah. you know, he's a great attacking player. Yeah. But you ask him for game yeah. management in the yeah. wet, yeah. forget about it. I think he started against England in Cape Town, didn't he, Yanchis? And that was, you know, England won that game. And that was the kind of turning point for England or, or the kind of little trigger point maybe that one little win so yeah well, I, I, what so, about the Kiwis well it's listen how can we ever start to sort of put little question marks against New Zealand with their record it's all relative isn't it their demise so called really it's to me there's a sense there that they're not what they were now listen given that they went years and years and years with barely anybody getting within you know two scores of them properly you know it, it's a relative decline but they're there to be shot at without a shadow of a doubt, you know. And you wonder, Kieran Reid, obviously they'll be rested through next year, so they'll be in, in much better shape come there. But I don't see anything really threatening there as there has been over the last six, seven, eight years. And whilst Eddie Jones is, and, and Warren Gatland, to be fair, and other people have been saying these autumn internationals don't matter, they yes. do matter in this sense. Yeah. With New Zealand, as you well know, the aura of yeah. them carries them a long way. Yeah. And if you don't play them for a long time and you just yeah. watch them putting four tries average per game over people and so on, then the temptation is to give them, or to be over-reverential. Now, the players who played them close up, Ireland, England, whatever, they no longer have that now. No. Because they know, you know what can happen. Like any side, if put on the back foot, yeah. not as easy to play the game. Yeah, and, and that was a full-strength 
uh, New Zealand side, give or take. You mm. know, I mean, they they had fewer injuries certainly than than England had, and and it was about norm for the course. You know, and you saw the pack of forwards, White Lock, Retallick. I know they're jaded at the end of a thing like that, and they will be much more kind of energised come a World Cup for all the usual reasons of rest and, and preparation time. But nonetheless, you know, Ireland got stuck into them. You know, England got stuck into them, and that was a kind of slightly makeshift England side. So as you say, they they. Whether aura matters, we always, it's, it's a fantastic thing to discuss either here on a, on a radio programme or in print, you know, as to what it means. For players, they deal in practicalities, don't they? And, but they know they've gone toe-to-toe with them and there's nothing really to fear. They've still got to beat them and they've got to play very, very well to do that. However, they know that if they do play very well, they're absolutely in with a shout. We've been remiss because we haven't mentioned the number one team. Are they the number one team in the world? They certainly won all the World Rugby Awards. Ireland, Joe Schmidt is going. I thought he might go, actually, because I think... You know, he's he think, feels he's done his time. What about Farrell taking over? Yeah, well, you know, we know him well, don't we, Andy Farrell, from, from his time here in, in England. And, you know, as you say, it's, there's been a build to this point. And obviously, I was in Dublin nine days ago for that great uh, win over New Zealand and, and came out of it with thoughts about the Farrells themselves. My one reservation about him, and it's an obvious reservation, is he's not been a head coach, mm. Andy. You know, but I know these things, even if you have your specialism within a management team you're obviously there and involved and you've got in order to coach defense you've got to understand attack you know so I I don't think it's just uh, to him to make sure that obviously he doesn't try to do too much and I don't think he will because he's not that type of bloke. I'll tell you what I've been thinking do you think at some point Stuart Lancaster will be involved? Yes. I do. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah and I think I think this is probably quite a clever way around, possibly. I thought at first it would be if they went for the kind of old ticket of, of Lancaster Farrell, Stuart coming out of, as, as, in as head coach as before. Actually, this is an interesting flip of it. I don't yeah. think Stuart, he still, he was that badly burned by the 2015 experience and un- understandably show, so. And he's shown what a tremendous coach he is, a hands-on coach that he is. And he did less and less of it through the latter stages of his England and of course, And, of course, his experience has passed on to Farrell, although Farrell was involved yeah. in the England thing as well. But with the focus that he had as head coach, he'll be yeah. able to give him a lot of advice. He will be able to give him a lot of advice. Even so, it still is a step into the unknown. And we all know Andy Farrell. He is as he is. He is as Owen is. He's out there. He's, he's very solid. He's very capable. He doesn't seem easily ruffled. So he'll be front of house, Andy. But it will be different. There's an awful lot more pressure comes on to an awful lot more scrutiny. But I can see the Lancaster uh, Farrell ticket coming into into play post the World Cup. Just as a final discussion point on Ireland, I think everyone agrees now they've got the best squad they've ever had. Yeah. They've got the most depth yeah. in nearly every position that they've ever had. They've answered the thing about whether they can play without uh, Conor Murray. Not yeah. that they'd want to. No. I do still wonder this. Can they do it without Johnny Sexton? Yeah, no, I kind of um, chucked that out on Twitter over the weekend about Farrell, people saying, you know, he's indispensable with England. I think, I think exactly that. It's the same with Ireland. You know, it's the same kind of conundrum, really. So, and people say, well, these guys have stepped in before, but I think he, you know, he is the but great But the difference organ. is this, in a World Cup campaign, stepping in uh, outside a World Cup for one game or yeah. even two games, fine. If something happens to either of those early on in a tournament and you've got to manage four or five games, that's a totally different prospect. 
It, it is. And Especially it, with knockout rugby. It, and it would be a hammer blow, as we saw in, in 2011, you know, with New Zealand. You know, Carter didn't make it. They were down a number. Stephen Donald had to whistle up from his fishing trip, didn't he? You know, so all sorts of kind of calamitous sort of things can happen. You know, you've got to have that kind of line of depth, haven't you? And England have had it with George Ford in that position all the way through up until this series, really. So they have got an experienced player there to step in. But no, it's um, something to kind of ponder and have at the back of your mind. But really, I think we should just tip the hat, as we say, to Ireland, really. They've been fantastic. They've proven themselves on all fronts, really. Up front, out wide, Stockdale, Larmore coming through as well. Carberry as possible backup as well. Ring Road, all those kind of guys have been um, have sh- have been real quality and the old foot soldiers as well. Peter Armani was was mm. absolutely terrific, you know. So everybody's bought into the whole thing, you know. And and Schmidt has created, you know, there were accusations, not accusations. There's just sort of complaints that maybe he's too much for the puppet master that everything was done by numbers. That's not true. He's, he's just basically built to this point now where, as we saw with that, uh, as we mentioned before, the Stockdale try, you know. Once they've got their system in place, they play off it and out of it and through it and round and all those kind of things. No, it's it's a, and listen, first game of the Six Nations, Ireland, England in, in Dublin, you know. Well, let's talk about Scotland and to do so, we are joined by the former Scotland and British Lions Centre, Scott Hastings. Hello, Scott. Hi, Brian. Good afternoon to you. Hi, Mike. Hello, Scott. How are you? Yeah. Yeah, good. Thank you very good, much. Good. Stodgy match is uh, what's written down here um, against <laughs> the Pumas. I don't think it was that good, actually, but... Uh, your nephew, Adam Hastings, was in action. Have you spoken to him as to how he's adjusted to international rugby and what, what he found out about the Pumas? Yeah, he's, he's been loving it. He got an armchair ride in the summer, actually, when Scotland you know, basically put points on Argentina through a porous defence. But he's realising that suddenly when you're pulling on that international strip, at Murrayfield, it brings a different dynamic and a pressure to the game. But what Gregor Townsend's been able to do is not only encourage Adam, but also expose a couple of other players to international uh, rugby in the Test Match Arena. Sam Skinner, for example, in Exeter Chiefs has been a revelation. Uh, I also think young Jamie Ritchie's done really well. And there's now a competition for places. And whilst Scotland, um, you know, it wasn't, as you said, Brian, it wasn't the greatest game in the world. If Argentina indeed had kicked their goals, Scotland might have uh, faced a, a, a losing result on that occasion but they had the presence of mind to score a very good try down the blind side with Sean Maitland and you know little little things like that help Scotland um, to achieve much and, and they'll, they'll, they'll take that win but they know they have to improve I mean one of the things I think doesn't help uh, Adam is this is he's got the, the Mad Hastings bravado and bravery in <laughs> physical challenge he doesn't mind a physical challenge and sometimes I think you know he, he, he goes into, into them when you know, uh, a more timid fly half would actually get get rid of the ball and involves himself sometimes. How do you think the Russell uh, Hastings axis went? Uh, listen, it's been talked about. It, it it was seen in fleeting glimpses when Adam came off the bench against Fiji, but against the, t- the top teams, um, the fluency perhaps wasn't there. Let's be frank, Finn Russell's the out-and-out 10 for Scotland. What Townsend was able to do was uh, was experiment in an autumn series. I don't know if he would do it in the Six Nations, but it gives something up his sleeve as well. And undoubtedly, you know, the, the mix of the Scotland team, whether it be Peter Horn at 12, whether it be Hugh Jones at 13, or whether it be uh, Dunbar, Alex Dunbar at 12, 
Scotland do have options there, and uh, there's also one that was was trialled last year when Laidlaw slots back into that fly half position if you've got the mercurial Finn Russell not playing well. But what you know, what undoubtedly what Adam does bring is yes, a physicality. We've seen it with Johnny Sexton, you know, in the past that you know he takes some hits, um, and and Johnny Wilkinson, of course, in an England jersey never shirked a tackle. So it's part of the modern sort of uh, setup of Scotland. But you can get sucked into that. You can get excited playing international rugby and what Adam's got to realise as he goes through his international career is there are times to mix it, there are times to stand back, there are times to have a go and I think he, he shows that and it's great to see him. I'm very proud of him obviously and so is Gavin. We, we've spoken a lot uh, earlier, Brian and I, about Ireland and England and how the autumn has been for them and, and what they've both teams have got out of it. What do you think Scotland, Scotland have got out of it particularly with regard to the Six Nations coming up? I think Scotland are still a work in progress, Mick, and and uh, I look at, you know, they, they lost the game against South Africa. Uh, they were outplayed by Wales, and if you look at the likes, you know, Wales over the autumn seas, Ireland over the autumn seas, mm. the improvement of England in the big games. If those three teams had come up against South Africa, they would have beaten South Africa a couple of weeks ago. Scotland didn't. So in terms of their almost a product life cycle. They're not quite there yet. And and what Ireland and Wales and England have developed is a culture when the games are tight, they're able to absolutely go for the jugular. And, and Scotland are going to have to find a way over the next nine games before they hit the Rugby World Cup, a way of, of, of coming up against these big teams and absolutely finding a way that suits them, but also matches the physicality of those teams. Scott, we've got to leave it there, but uh, good to speak to you again, mate. Thanks very much. Thanks, good luck, Brian. Cheers. Cheers I think what Scotland, the one thing that they do lack is sufficient number of both ball-carrying forwards. They've got players who are comfortable on the ball. They've Mm. got players who don't mind taking it in, but they don't have a line-breaker necessarily. No, they they always relied on speed, didn't they, amongst Mm. the forwards as well, uh, from from way back when. But uh, as we've seen, you know, it's a heavy-duty game across the game line these days, isn't it? I think Strauss helped. Yeah. I mean, I think they probably do need him to stay fit yeah. because he is possibly the one player that gives them that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But as I said, if you see even the absence of Billy Vunapola, you know, I mean, England had a look out wider with Ben Teo in order to get across the game. You, you've got to have both. It's not just a question of size. It's a question of kind of power, which comes from pace, isn't it? You know, you've, you've got to do that. I don't think really now defences are so well organised and players are so fit it's very hard just to find a way round the defence these days unless you've done a bit of softening up beforehand. Well, we've talked about a lot of the Celtic squads, but not Wales with a specialist guest. Pleased to say now we can speak to the former Wales number eight, Michael Owen. Hello, Michael. Hi, Brian. How's it going? OK. Um, Mick and I were saying about Ireland, it's the strongest squad we've ever seen with Ireland. In recent times, I'm not talking about the uh, glory years of the 70s when we both weren't around, well, certainly not as players, but this strong squad for Wales, is it the strongest squad in recent times, you think, going into a World Cup? Yeah, definitely. I think in, uh, when you look at it in the professional era, I think this is a, certainly the strongest squad Wales have had. You look at some of the positions, some of the back row uh, permutations they could put in place and the half-backs and stuff, there's some real really good quality um, strength and depth which is really excellent for Wales they haven't been in that position before um, and I think with Warren Gatland as a coach as well they're in a, a really good position to be able to attack any tournament they go into 
Well, Fallatown not involved this autumn, but provided he's fit and on form, is he a certainty to start? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. he brings so much to the team. I think he just uh, he's a like tremendous all-round player. Um, and with his, he's sort of one of those players that's got real gravitas and that can lift the players alongside him as well sometimes. So I think, yeah, Falatau would be probably one of the first names on the team sheet, I think. But then the, the spots around him are going to be incredibly difficult to make a selection. And that's a great position for Wales to be in. They can pick according to, to the opposition and the, the different players that suit the opposition. I think the biggest thing for Wales has just been the quality of the bench they're able to put out. It's just giving them that, that last 20 minutes. They can really have a real push towards, uh, towards getting a victory and in the, in the tight international matches. Well, four wins out of four, nine wins in a row. I don't want to overplay this, but given the historical record against teams like Australia, like South Africa, how important was it that they beat them this time round and they beat them comfortably as well, actually? Yeah, it's, ma- it's massive, isn't it? I think like, you look at the world rugby at the minute and it's very, very even. I think like New Zealand are probably still just about ahead of everyone else, I think. But as Ireland showed, it's not as big a gap as it has been. I think like Wales, Ireland, England, Scotland to an extent would all fancy the chances of beating any of the rugby championships teams. So it's, uh, it's massive Wales and I think they'll go into um, any tournament thinking they can win it. And they really are genuine contenders. Who's who's come through that we might not have expected to see? The sort of new names we spoke a lot uh, earlier in the program about uh, Joe Thokinasinga and, and Mark Wilson and others that came through in England sort of ranks. Who's who's caught your eye for Wales over the last three four weeks? I think the two the two players I'm really excited by are two boys from Cardiff Blues. I think Dylan Lewis uh, in the front row uh, looks like a, a tight head who's almost he makes the contributions of a back row. He's brilliant over the ball. He can get you maybe. Mm-hmm two or three jackals a game he's good on the ball he can make a pass he wants to get in the game and I think Thomas Williams as well as a scrum half obviously with Wales losing or like, I don't know what's exactly going to happen but with the web situation yeah. yeah it's obviously like Thomas Williams coming through and he just looks like a real sort of um, pocket pocket if you like and a little bit got good box kicking game and very similar to Gareth Davis so Wales got yeah, a tremendous amount of, uh, of potential there with Thomas Williams so I think those two were obviously brilliant and then Ellis Jenkins on the weekend as well was was obviously so uh, horrible for him to uh, have that injury at the end, but he was absolutely outstanding. I think he's someone who's, again, coming into that back row mix. It's, it's really exciting for Wales. He's terrific, Ellis Jenkins. And, uh, do we know anything more about him? It looks like it's a, a, a sort of knee injury, but at which the World Cup's 10 months off, so touch wood and, and fingers crossed for that. But um, he's it comes to something where Sam Warburton's not really missed in the back row. It's extraordinary, no, yeah, really. It, yeah, it is really extraordinary. I think the, the, the player, obviously James Davis is out as well. Mm. I mean, he wasn't a bit, but it's just the players who are playing outstandingly well. And I think like the Tonga game as well, I just show where there's got some, some young players coming through that are potentially um, potentially world-class and like they can they can take the place of a Jonathan Davis or something. Obviously, he's still the, the top the top man in the centre, mm. but you've got someone who can come in and you're going to think, well, it's going to, you're going to be okay. Like it's maybe lose a bit, but it's not too much. So I think that's very, very exciting for Wales and they're in a good good position going into the, the Six Nations. Well, that's a good point, Michael. I think everybody's uh, licking their lips at what should be a very closely contested and could be one of the best Six Nations ever. But we've got to leave it there. And just want to say thank you uh, very much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Take care, mate. Well, obviously, next for the uh, home nations is the Six Nations. Mm. We mentioned earlier the delicious prospect of Ireland uh, hosting England. First game up. Now, 
first game, get... first game for them, I think it's France Wells on a Friday night, isn't yeah. it? Actually starts on a Friday, but it's the first weekend. It's a great opening weekend. But the week, you know, the first game of a Six Nations doesn't necessarily go to plan, and you can start slowly and suddenly find yourself out of it. Either way, you could say also that maybe the title will be decided on the uh, on the first weekend. Mm. You know, but um, who knows? I mean, Wales, Wales. I think of both England and uh, Ireland at home. So there's making assumptions or presumptions as we used to do when it was England France was the only game that mattered was showed how dangerous that can that can be but I think you know they're all very well prepared can you remember a six nations when the sides have been as close I'm 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 trying to think but I'm struggling actually well a six nations no not really no it's it's you know you've usually had a dominant sort of force you could argue that Islander it you know and 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 rightly so as Grand Slam champions and the, and the great year that they've had so um you know they've every right to to carry that kind of mantle with them haven't they as as, as the favorites for it however as we've seen it's it's just been such an encouraging summer stroke into autumn as well with 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 results across the board against the su- southern hemisphere that no there are contenders across there. of course we've not even talked about france and italy have we for for good reasons france phew, you are. I mean, how many times? Have we, how many times have we shrugged? <laughs> don't, don't say it. No need to say it. <laughs> down, <laughs> shrug shoulders down the decades about them. But uh, as we know, they'll they've got players. You, you know, know, I think I think the the Six Nations it's been shown absolutely categorically, statistically, that home advantage makes a huge difference. Yeah. Not not always decisive, but in general, and I think the results and the final table will be largely influenced by that again. But it's one of these things, I think, it depends if you don't manage to get over the line because you lose one or two away games, provided you're very close, provided these games mm. turn on, you know, a kick or a decision yeah. or whatever, yeah. then I think it's one of these things where when you're going forward, you won't be, well, you will be bothered, but you'll still take uh, en- encouragement. Yes, you will. And as we as we know, injury kind of affects so much uh, in terms of the kind of, short-termism of, of each particular game and, and England have had a very bad run with, with injuries, Wales had a few as well but it's, it's going to strike, it's going to happen because teams are playing all through Christmas now aren't they, you know, it's, it's, you know the Irish are able to rest and that's always an advantage but you know, there's still four rounds of, of Europe to come for those Irish players as well between now and the start of the Six Nations. And just a final point to put to you, I think that Eddie Jones will be largely happy with the Autumn Internationals, he's found out a bit uh, more uh, about some of the relatively inexperienced players. He's found a lot out about the completely new players. Mm. But with that comes both the options and flexibility it gives him in selection, but the temptation to make more changes to continue to experiment. And as we saw with Slavisa Jukanovic at Fulham, that doesn't work. No. And there aren't that many games left now. I'm not sure he will. I mean, he's, 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 he's been here so many times, Eddie, hasn't he, with, with various teams coming into World Cup tournaments. He knows the benefit of actually settled sides. And if you've got settled units, and if these guys are back, the Vunapolar brothers, they'll be in and they'll be playing. And now he knows that if there's another touch wood, there won't be injury to, to, to Billy or, or Mako. He's got guys to slot in, but I don't think he'll do it um, for its own sake. I think that's gone. It's finished. He had an Argentina tour last year. He's now had the adversity of injury to to give him to, to to force him to look at other options, and that's gone very very well for him. Now I think I think what we'll see in the Six Nations, if they're all fit, is his World Cup sign. Mm-hmm. 
Time now to speak to Maggie Alfonsi, the World Cup winner, about the Red Roses. They too had an autumn campaign and uh, they finished it on a high note, beating Ireland 37-15 at Twickenham. Maggie, the game it was a comprehensive win. Seven tries, only one conversion. What, what does that say? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't um, the best in that sense. I think, unfortunately, the score doesn't really reflect the quality of the game. Look, the game was a, was a tough game for, for England. Ireland really put up a good fight. No excuse, though. The conversions were, weren't, weren't great. A lot of the tries were, were out wide. Um, but it just highlights the fact, in the women's game in particular, that's an area that's, that mm. still needs to be developed. I mean, for England, their main real key kicker is, is Katie Daly-McLean um, and then, but Sarah McKenna took the first lot of kicks and she missed all of hers so it just shows that that's still an area that needs to be worked on because you know we see it obviously in the men's game the men can kick it from pretty much anywhere on the field and that's why I think that the women's game can definitely grow um, we see it a lot actually in, in France with the women's, women kickers are brilliant can we get the same thing developing throughout, throughout the game Three from three, so that is good. But can I just ask you briefly to tell us where you think England are on their preparation for the next World Cup? Are they potentially as good as the team in which you played that won? Look, they're definitely on this process of building, uh, getting depth. They're bringing some young players through. So Simon Middleton um, brought through six debutants over the Autumn International, which is perfect for, for the squad because they need to develop leaders. So, look, they're not where... My team was in 2014, but that's fine. It's about peaking at the right time and it's about bringing players through. You know, 2021 is still a long way to go. So um, I think for England and for Simon Middleton and the coaches, I think they should be very pleased with where they're at right now because um, the Autumn International gave them an opportunity to test out some of those younger players who I definitely felt have learned a lot from that experience and will only get better. Well, I understand that the decision about which players will receive professional full-time contracts will be made this week. And there are 28 contracts to be had, 28 players this autumn, but not necessarily those 28 will get the full-time contracts. Simon Middleton, the coach, said it's the toughest decision of his coaching career. Does he have sole say on who is awarded these? Um, he'll have that discussion with um, the other coaches, so um, Richard Blaze and Scott Bowman as well. And then he'll also talk with the head of performance for the women's game, uh, Nicola Ponsford. So it'll be a very much a, he'll lead the discussions, but it, it'll be very much a, a group talking point on who they feel are the right players to come through. Because it isn't just about you know, ensuring that you've got the best players right now, it's who's going to be the key players going forward what players are currently injured who should be brought in as well and what players who performed from the National Academy as well who could be maybe brought into that that contract Mm -hmm. uh, set up as well. Now this time, is there a switching focus between 7s and 15s or are they just doing it generically? So in terms of so in, in, in terms of the sevens, the, the, the sevens series for the women has already kicked off and the next big focus is Dubai. So my impression of what the RFU will be doing will be keeping it still separate. So your sevens players will be focusing on the sevens and fifteens will be focusing on, focusing on the fifteens game. But I guess when the season kicks on and as we approach closer to a World Cup period, you just don't know what's going to happen. But I do get the impression when the contracts are rolled out, um, those 28 players will be specifically 15s players um, because the sevens will obviously have their own involvement with their own contracts. So I can't really give a definite answer on what they're going to do there, but I do think they'll be looking to keep that quite separate. Well, that's all good news, isn't it? Uh, Thank you very much for speaking to us, Maggie. Thank you. 
The man inside the shirt with Dove Men Plus Care, 100% designed for men. Well, it was all glitz and glamour in Monaco over the weekend, and someone who was there from the Telegraph was Gavin Mears. We can speak to him now. Hello, Gavin. Hi, Brian. Gambling in the casino, were you? Um, no, not, not, not last night. No, <laughs> not last night. I think it was... Uh, Unseasonably wet, Brian. You'd be glad to know it sounded very glamorous, but it was absolutely pouring down. So we were uh, we were just within the confines of this a very glamorous hotel in Monte Carlo, with all the, the the great and good of world rugby. Yes, it was the World Rugby Awards, and Ireland swept the board. Tell tell us a bit about the ceremony. Yes, so it, it was probably expected, Brian, but we we had the, the three big awards going all to Ireland. They had. Quite an emotional night for Joe Schmidt, winning Coach of the Year, um, just on the eve of his announcement today that he'd be he'd be stepping down from the role at the end of the World Cup next year. Rory Best, the Ireland captain, was there to to accept the award. Also for Ireland, winning Team of the Year, and um, they've won, I think it's eleven out of twelve games this year. They've won a Grand Slam. They've beaten the All Blacks for the first time in Dublin. They've won a series in in Australia this summer. So it's been a phenomenal year. And then we also had Johnny Sexton winning Player of the Year for sort of masterminding Ireland's success and also with Leinster in the Champions Cup and in the Pro 14. One bit of hilarity last night, Brian Sexton had to, when he went up to receive the award, was left literally speechless. He had lost his voice, um, <laughs> possibly in the nerves of the evening. But uh, he, uh, we had this um, rather odd sight of, of Rory Best up on the stage reading from his mobile phone the speech <laughs> that Johnny would have given. <laughs> well, quite often at these awards, there's a bit of contention, but I don't think there can be any argument about these, even though... It was sort of hegemonous, wasn't it? No, absolutely. I think it was one of those things, you know, there, there were some very strong contenders. New Zealand were obviously up there as well. But I think when you look back at the calendar year in particular, Ireland had a very strong Six Nations Grand Slam, their third ever Grand Slam. And then they had a strong summer and a perfect autumn series, including that win against New Zealand, as, as we've mentioned. So, you know, you look at the, the, the win rate that's been building over the last three years under Schmidt, and um, uh, and I think you would argue Sexton's as well. He's so key to Ireland. You take him out of the Ireland team, it's just not the same. And there's not many international teams where one player is so critical to a team's success. Well, it was also a moment to celebrate the grassroots and the less well-known aspects of the game. Last week, we told you about Harinder Singh and Jamie Armstrong, who were up for the Dove Men Plus Care Spirit of Rugby Award. And Gav, who won that? And tell us a bit more about it and what uh, they do for the community. Oh, it was brilliant, Brian. I must admit, having um, Jamie was actually on my table last night and um, it was just lovely to... You're surrounded by superstars on a night like like last night, um, but in the midst of all this, there's there's a guy who's putting his heart and soul into grassroots rugby, and was so emotional to be recognised by the great and good, a proud Scotsman, doing wonderful work trying to bring together disabled people and able people, and using rugby as a way of sort of unifying them and getting them into exercise, and uh, you know he's got support from the health service as well it's just been one of those remarkable stories of somebody putting their efforts into a caring really caring for 
young people uh, and trying to use rugby as we all know what a great game it can be to bring people together and it was just a, a very emotional night for him mm-hmm. and you could see why because he was there with his heroes but but also they were recognising him Well let's hear from Jamie now and what the award means to him I think the award that came in we was grounding if I'm being honest I never set up just rugby with an idea it wasn't it wasn't a plan. It's not as if it's got a business plan. It's not got a strategic plan. It was literally just a pilot project with a woman called Dr. Helen Lynn, who sadly passed away this year. Helen Lynn was the clinical director for Lemon Disability Services in NHS, and she was an adamant rugby fan. And we decided, look, is there a group of people who can't access rugby? And we started the programme. So we started it and we built it. So that pick up the ball and run with it has really been our sort of main thing. And we're continuing to do that. And it's not really for me, it's for everybody that's been doing it, all the volunteers, all the players. And there's a huge amount of work going on in the UK that started down in Wales and over 30 years ago with Swansea Gladiators and Clefton Warriors. There's now probably about 20 teams worldwide now that are playing the sport. So it's for everybody. It's just different people playing together with a common goal of playing as competitive a rugby game as we can, creating life-enhancing, meaningful experiences and, you know, managing the risk and the welfare of the players, but giving them every chance to experience rugby. So it's recognition of the hard work for everybody. I was just the lucky one to go up and collect the trophy. Well, it's good that uh, they have the award on the same night and that people can pay tribute to lesser uh, or unknown names. And uh, it's a timely reminder that the 95% of the game is not at that level. Just a final word, Doddy Weir, who I understand was present to pick up the award for character, and if there ever was an award for Doddy, probably is this one. How was he? It's funny, Brian. I was watching, the, he, he, there was a video recording of his award and him speaking, and I was actually watching him, watching himself speak, and you could just see him probably quite emotional at that point, but mm-hmm. as soon as he got onto the stage, it was Doddy, full of life, full of energy, full of the spirit of life and he's just determined to make everything count and and, and use every moment that he has to try and push uh, the awareness of, of his foundation and you know it, you know I think when I mentioned about Jamie's emotion you know I think him seeing Dolly there really inspired him and mm. you just can't help but be moved by Dolly Weir's story and and he just continues to to be himself which is just fantastic well Gav uh, are you coming home soon Yes, yes, I'll be back soon, Brian. Don't worry. Don't well, worry. Normal be, service will be resumed. Be, be safe and thanks for speaking to us. No problem at all. Anytime. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Remy Martin. Thank you to my co-host, Mick Cleary, and as always, my producer, Abby Patterson. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast via the app of your choice and please leave a review too so more people can find out about us. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.